Hey, welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church podcast. I'm Jeff Simmons, and I'm the lead pastor here at Rolling Hills. And I am so glad that you've tuned in today. Today, you're going to hear from Pastor Nick as we are in our series called Beautiful Life. And Nick will be teaching from 1 John chapter 4 as we continue our series. Hey, now let's hear from Pastor Nick. Good morning. I really am glad that you're here today, and so welcome. Thanks for um, joining us as we continue this series. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, um, I invite you to turn them to the book of 1 John. We'll spend the majority of our time there this morning. If you want to go ahead and put a bookmark in 2 Kings chapter 6, we'll go there for a hot second too. But most of our time today will be spent in the book of 1 John chapter 4 as we continue in this series of what we just heard, Every Life Has a Story. Now, most of the good stories that I have in life or about life have come from years and years of being a student pastor working with middle school and high school kids. Um, I will say on the outset of this sermon that next month, in just a few weeks, I will celebrate 21 years of being married to Susan. We're super excited about that. We didn't get to do anything fun for our 20th. Thank you, COVID-19. So we're, we're planning on doing this one up big. It's going to be a great one. I will say um, a really fun story is that on our 10th anniversary, we got to spend a week in Hawaii don't get excited. It was on a mission trip um, with a bunch of high school kids, and she was staying in a dormitory with all girls, and I was staying in a dormitory with all guys, but we were in Hawaii for our 10th anniversary, and we can say that with confidence. Now, at the beginning of the week, you don't get Hawaii by driving. You have to fly there, right? So we flew in with all the high school students. We're working with church planters all on the island of Oahu in and around Honolulu. It was a great experience, and we loved so much of it. Now, at the very beginning, we took the students to the Pacific Ocean. Many of them had never seen the Pacific Ocean before, and they certainly hadn't been to Hawaii. And one of our interns, love him, great, he decided that it was going to be a great idea to go swimming in the Pacific Ocean with the van keys and his cell phone in his pocket. Um, not concerned at all about the cell phone. Now, that one died for sure, but the van key, all of it got lost in the ocean of all places. And I remember standing on the side of the ocean with a whole bunch of high school kids and volunteers all looking for me to be a leader in the moment, thinking, well, I'm going to have to call the rental company, which is an hour back in the city of Honolulu at the airport where we picked it up only one day ago, and we've already lost the keys. Tennesseans. Okay, and so then, meanwhile, I'm on the phone. We're trying to figure out. We're shuttling half the group back in the van that we still had, and the other van's going to come back 45 minutes to pick up the rest of the group, and we're just waiting to try to figure out the dilemma of the day, and this high school junior keeps swimming along the surf just looking for the keys, and I'm thinking, what a futile exercise this is until he stands up and says, Pastor Nick, I think I found them. Now, the operative word is think, because how many sets of keys are stuck in the Pacific? But it was indeed our keys in the moment, and we found them, and we were able to get back, and the crisis was averted. Little things can sometimes become really big things if we're not careful, and we don't pay attention to the fact that God is in charge of all things, whether they're big or they're small. We land today in the book of 1 John, but I don't get there without pausing for a a second 
at the idea of First Peter because I was privileged a couple of years ago to stand in front of an auditorium of high school kids and get to lead a class on apologetics and the idea that somehow or another, you and I, according to his words in First Peter, are, are, are required, are expected. It says to revere the Lord with our whole hearts. And that word revere is the word hagiadzo, and it literally means to, to set apart as holy and to understand that somehow or another that God is above all things, big things, and small things. And so we're going to set him apart and understand understand that he is holy and different and consecrated and hallowed in ways that are different than us. And then it says, always be prepared. I don't always feel prepared. You don't always feel prepared. Sometimes we've lost the thing that we need. This is one of those mornings that has just gone insane. And one day or another, the worship team and I will sit around and tell you about all the crazy things that happened today, because sometimes you don't always feel prepared to do what? To give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Somehow or another, we're supposed to in our hearts, set apart and revere God as everything, and then always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have in Him with gentleness and respect. The hope that we have in Him is Jesus. And so somehow or another, you and I are supposed to navigate this world of proclaiming truth, but always doing it in a loving way by the power of God. We've got to somehow always, never negotiate, always proclaim truth, and yet always never negotiate, do it in a way that is consistent with the love that we find in Scripture. That reason for the hope that we have, it's in your notes this morning, you can follow along as we go and write it down by hand with your own chicken scratch, or you can type it out on the app and make sure you have a legible copy later, but here we are, that reason for the hope that you have, it's only Jesus only Jesus. But what we mean by Jesus matters. And that's what John's writing about. And that's what he's concerned with. It says in 1 John chapter 4, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Okay, so apparently the spirits out there are inconsistent. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God test the spirit. That word test is like, it's like, it's like biting gold or precious metal. I don't know if you ever watched this, but like old school movies about prospectors and like gold rush out west, they would literally take a nugget out of the ground and they would bit between their teeth and they would bite it down to figure out, is this real gold or is this fool's gold? It's that same principle here. Test the spirits, bite into it, see what lasts, see what's good. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many, this is a reminder, John's been saying this from the beginning of chapter one, many false prophets have gone out into this world. It says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God, verse 2. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And, and you're clued in in that moment that John is combating a very specific heresy that's erupted in the life of the church. He wants to make sure that these dear friends, these spiritual children, these people that he in his 80s is now leading to make sure that they are prepared to live in the light of Jesus Christ as he and all the other apostles are passed on and the church still remains. Dear friends, make sure you keep this gospel message pure. You have to understand how to discern which is a good spirit, which is not a good spirit, which is a truth message, which is a false message. And the way that you do that is to know that every single truth that's true 
always leads back to a confession of Jesus Christ having come in the flesh. There was this Gnostic heresy that grew up in the life of the church that they thought that all matter was bad, evil, people for sure, and that all spirit was good, which is not all spirit is good because there were bad spirits out there too. Matter is evil and spirits are good. And so somehow or another, Jesus couldn't have come in flesh because then that would have made him matter and then he would have been bad. And if he was bad, then he couldn't have been Jesus. And the whole cycle continues. There was a discrepancy over whether or not God could be fully human and fully divine in the person of Jesus. You see, the answer for the hope that you have and that you have to always be prepared to give is always only Jesus, but what you say about Jesus matters. That's why Jesus walking around with his disciples in Matthew chapter 16 pulls into the region of Caesarea Philippi and he looks around, he's like, hey, who do people say the son of man is? What's my reputation out there? And they're like, oh, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. And then he looks squarely at his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? Because who you say Jesus is matters. That's why we say that a disciple is a growing follower of Jesus Christ because we're always growing and moving towards maturity and we have to say Christ at the end because I don't follow Jesus, some great moral teacher, although he was one. I don't follow Jesus, some incredible miracle worker, although he did some. I don't follow Jesus because he gave us a definition of how to truly love people and how to understand, although he did. We follow Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah, the Lamb of God that came to save all mankind from the sins that separate us from holy God. Jesus, who was there from the beginning with God, and all things were made by him and for him and through him, who came in bodily form as a person, born of a virgin, grew up living a completely sinless life, and yet felt all the physical pain that's associated with having a human body and was crucified for the sins of a fallen world and didn't stay that way because he rose again three days later. Ultimately, the hope that we have is always only Jesus, but what you say about Jesus matters. We're living with the idea of progressive Christianity that's somehow moving past all the things that we understand to be historically and authoritatively true from this book, and we encountered very specifically in Second John chapter 1, the second letter that he wrote to his people, anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teachings of Christ does not have God. And what we say is that progressive Christianity isn't a new thing. It had been going on since this early church. How are we going to move past the teachings of Jesus and understand even more, take on more gnosis? What is the next level of knowledge that we can obtain? Here's the deal. You're never going to progress past what this word says about Jesus. We may increase in our understanding about what this word means about Jesus, but we will never progress past the truth of Jesus Christ, Son of God, made into flesh, came to save people. That's Jesus. And so anybody who confesses that Jesus, any spirit that points us in the direction of that Jesus, according to John, we know is from God. And it says in verse 3, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, not the Antichrist, but an Antichrist, the one who is coming. This is the spirit of that Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now even already in the world. Somehow or another, we're being reminded that the confession that we make of Jesus Christ is the only thing. That word acknowledge, in fact, means confession. 
And you'll find it used interchangeably in Scripture. That's why you get to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, anyone, if you confess with your mouth, that's profess with your lips. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and couple that with a belief in your heart that God raised him from the dead. We're not going to move past the resurrection in this place. This wasn't just Jesus who was a great teacher who changed the world and he was a revolutionary leader and then he died and he's in a tomb. He's alive. We're going to proclaim, we're going to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God did, in fact, raise him from the dead. I got an opportunity in ministry when Susan and I were first married to serve a company called Epic Adventures that partnered with the North American Mission Board to take teenagers on trips to strategic focus cities in the Northeast where they desperately needed evangelical churches. So we would take these middle school and high school kids on trips um, to New York and to Boston and to Philadelphia and to D.C. I got to work in some great cities, and we always, we really always tried to have teams to take into New York over the 4th of July because it was just so fun. Definitely blazing hot, but such a fun city to be in on the 4th of July. And we would always navigate it to where all of our teams got to go and sit on the street at the Hudson River. We would camp out all day and wait for the 4th of July fireworks to begin. It was a great experience. Pre-kid Susan, I loved it. She would often schedule her vacation to come and serve with me at a week around the 4th so that we could be there together. Now, we had a running bet. Not bet, that's a bad word, like a competition with all the other teams, that the first group that could get their entire team back to Grand Central Station, because we were staying in Jersey and we had to get on a bus to ride across the bridge, whoever could get their team back first would get free cheesecake, and it's New York, so of course you wanted to win free cheesecake, and it's winning, and I'm competitive, so of course I wanted to win free cheesecake, and I have never in my life, it was the most un- un-COVID friendly situation ever. You're packed like sardines, a million people literally watching fireworks on this one street, and it's a holiday schedule. So you have to pay attention to which subway lines are open and which ones are closed because it's a holiday schedule where we make it back to the barricades. Fireworks are over. It was a great display. Susan and I, along with other leaders, have 40 kids with us, and we're standing at a police barricade, and some of the folks around us, the grown-ups, are getting really angry and they're getting hot because they want to get on the subway before the last run goes for the day and it's getting crazy and I literally raise my hand to a police officer and I say sir um we're with a mission trip company in the group and we've got 40 middle school and high school kids with us right now and we need to get back to Grand Central Station and this one's crying can we get on that train and this guy looks at me and he says Yes. And so right then, they move the barricade, and all 40 kids start walking through, and I'm counting the adults and making sure that we don't leave any single person behind, because at this point, it's not about being first. It's about being there at all. We want to make sure that we get there, and there's a lady on the other side of the barricade screaming, I'm with him! And I look back at the police officer, and I say, What we're saying, what we're confessing, what we're raising our hands and repeating is, I'm with Jesus. I'm with Jesus Christ, who is God's Son. I'm with Jesus Christ, made in flesh. I'm with Jesus Christ, fully God, yet fully man. And there's a mystery in that that I can't possibly understand, but I'm with Him. And what we pray and hope is that He's not over there going, I'm with Jesus. You want to bite into it and and test what this truth is? You're only with Jesus if you understand and confess what this book historically has always said about Jesus. That's the truth that we proclaim.
time with him. To, to be with Jesus is to openly agree with who this book says he is and confess out loud your understanding and your acceptance of why he came. In John chapter 6, people started deserting Jesus because his teaching got to be too hard, and he looked back at those same disciples, the ones that he would look at and say, hey, who do you say that I am? He looked at those same disciples, and he says, are you guys going to desert me too? And they spoke to him and said, where else would we go? You alone have the words. You alone have the keys to eternal life. You're it. It's only Jesus. And so in really tiny things, which can become really big things, we're going to trust the one who is over all things. I like to watch the Food Network. You guys watch the Food Network? We stopped having a cable subscription, so I had to wait till Discovery Plus came out so I could afford to get Food Network back, and I love it. You know how one of my favorite things about Food Network is that you're watching all the preparation and they're teaching you how to make the dish that they're going to make, but they always already have one ready. We're going to work and we're going to live our lives trying to illustrate the truths of these gospel and somehow or another always have an answer ready to show that hope. It's only Jesus I was living this week in the book of 2 Kings, not 1 Kings, 2 Kings. Sometimes I get books confused that have a first and second version, but I'm in 2 Kings chapter 6, and I'm literally dancing around these words of Elisha, not Elijah, the prophet. And it says in, in, in 2 Kings chapter 6 that the company of the prophets, they said to Elisha, look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. It's like our Nolansville campus right now. They're getting ready to build a big building because the place that they're currently meeting is too small for them, so they're going to build a bigger one that they can meet in. So right here, they're like church planting in the the pre-Jesus centuries. Here we go. So they looked to Elisha. The place where we meet is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to meet. So they're going to do the work. And, And Elisha replies to them, and he says, go. And then one of them, one of them, this one servant says, won't you please come with your servants? And Elijah's like, man, I got to do all that work. No, he actually just said, I will, he replied. And he went with them. And they went down to the Jordan and they began to cut down trees. And as one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Keys in a Pacific Ocean now drifting away into the surf. Like the Pacific Ocean is bigger than the Jordan River. So I think that they have a good chance of finding this thing. The, the, The axe fell into the water, and oh no, my Lord, he cried. The Bible gives us a, it's an exclamation. Oh no, this is like the worst thing ever. I, it was borrowed. It was rented. No, it was borrowed. He needed to find this, those keys. They're coming back to it. It was borrowed. And the man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him that place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it in there, and it made the iron axe head float. Lift it out, he said, and then the man reached out his hands and took it read that, and I was immediately reminded about those keys in the Pacific Ocean, because God's in the small things. He's in, he's in the tiny details of our lives, and sometimes wouldn't it be better if we just automatically arrived at the fact that this great God of the universe who is in the tiny details of our lives is also over the grand big problems that we face, that, that somehow or another, if God is, it's in your notes, faithful in the small details, if God is faithful in small details, we can trust him with grand design and our own 
destiny. Wouldn't it be great if we arrived at that on our own and always knew it so that when we face big, huge problems in the world, we can remember all those little faithful moments and trust the heart of God. This passage of scripture continued, and I'll just sum it up for you. Israel was at war with Aram, and Aram was pressing in on every side, but Elisha always had a clue from God about where the army was going to be, and so they were always ready for the attacks, and this infuriated the king of Aram. He was so mad that Israel seemed to always know exactly where they were going to show up next. He thought that he had a spy among his rates. A double agent was somehow feeding information to Israel, and his leaders were like, no, 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 I promise. There's, there's, there's no double agent among our people. They have a prophet, and the prophet always knows, and that just made the king of Aram even angrier. He was so mad. He's like, all right, you tell me where that prophet is. We're going to surround that city, and we're going to capture him so that Israel won't know where we're coming the next time, and we can finally turn the tables and win this war, and so the people come back to the king of Aram. They're like, hey, he's in the city of Dothan, not to be confused with the city that you drive in on the way to the beach through Alabama, but Dothan, it's over in Israel. Like, here he is. That's where we're going to find him, so they surround that city, Scripture says the servant woke up the next morning and he was like blown away and terrified over the army that surrounded them. And it doesn't say for sure, but I so want it. Like I want the servant that wakes up and goes and finds Elisha in the moment to say, the city is surrounded, we're under it. Like I want the guy that's that afraid in that moment to also have been the guy that lost his axe head. (laughs) I want it to have been the same guy. So that Elisha could look at him and say, weren't you there yesterday when I found your axe head? Don't you trust God today with the little things he was there? Don't you understand that he's going to be there with the big things too? And Elisha says, hey, listen, the one who's for us is greater than the one who's against us. And so we read those words in 1 John 4, 4, you, dear children, are are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I love how in the Old Testament it's all about, hey, the one who is for us is greater than the one who's against us. The one who is in you is greater than the one that's in the world. And then in 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha prayed and said, hey, God, open this kid's eyes so that he can see. And his eyes were opened. And he blown away by the size of the army of God. We we need our eyes to be opened so that we see truth and so that we know truth, so that we easily recognize truth. Jesus always said in his parables, hey, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, hearing truth is different than hearing truth. Having the capacity to read truth is very different than adopting truth and proclaiming truth and ultimately living truth. Little things can turn into big things if we're not careful. Those little tiny falsehoods can creep in and, and turn into big false theologies if we're not careful. So what we have to understand is that a God who was faithful in the little things can be over and above all of the big things because we cannot let our connection to what is true be infected by what is false. Sometimes it's easier to believe the lies of the world than to stand firm on the truths of God. So we're constantly constantly. We're the servant. We need God to open our eyes 
so that we can see how good he is. We need him to open our ears so that we can be reminded of how good he is. We need him to open our eyes and let us see, open our ears so that we can hear. John continues to talk about those false prophets. He says they're from the world, and therefore they speak from the viewpoint of the world, verse 5, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. In this beautiful life that you are called to live, there has to be a level of discernment to be able to tell the difference between what is true. Hint, it's going to match up with this book and these words about Jesus and what is not true. It's a doctrinal test. Do you really know and believe and proclaim with your life who Jesus is? The challenge for us is that we know somebody. You not only know somebody, but you love somebody who doesn't confess who Jesus is. And you're hurt by that. And you're in agony over that. And not only do you know somebody and probably deeply love somebody who does not acknowledge Jesus Christ as the the, the perfect son of God and the only way to a right standing before God, not only do you know and love somebody who does not profess that same truth, you likely also know and love somebody who it seemed like they used to. They used to. They used to know and profess that same truth. They, they, they used to, to claim that same gospel truth, but now they don't. And somehow the falsehood has been an infection that has pulled them away from the heart of God. What is your response going to be? John's so good, he gave it to us. You see, the first half of John chapter 4 is, is a doctrinal test over what a person believes about Jesus and how they discern what the spirits of this world are projecting on them to believe and understand about Jesus. We're never going to move past this truth about Jesus. But the second half of the book, starting in, if I could get there, verse 7. That's fancy. Dear friends, he says that again. <laughs> hey, community of faith, people who, who now know Jesus because of the testimony of the apostles, church that we're leaving behind to continue walking in this even after the disciples are dead and gone. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. You know somebody. You know somebody that does not share this truth about Jesus. You know somebody who has somehow in their life moved past this truth about Jesus. What is your response going to be? I know, let's belittle them on Facebook. I know, let's have an argument with them around the dinner table. Oh, I know, let's part ways and not be in relationship with them again. Or we could do what John provided, because right after he talked about the truth, he talked about the love. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. God put it on display. He made it visible. He gave us his son. 
one and only Son, into the world that we might live through him. This is love. He gave us a definition, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is our definition of sacrificial love. It's Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God demonstrates his love for us. Love has been made visible. Love has been given to us in a perfect demonstration. And so it says, dear friends, again, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There's the answer. It's a doctrinal test. Do you believe what the Bible says about Jesus? And it's a morality test. Do you live your life loving other people so that the rest of the world might see Jesus? Listen to verse 12. It says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, they'll get close. That's, that, that's how people get to know. That's how people get to see. It ultimately all comes back to love. You know, love lives in humility. That's right. Love is always, 100% of the time, going to be wearing humility when it walks in the room. It's never going to put on pride and say, look at me. It's never going to walk into the room arrogantly and pretend that it knows absolutely everything. Love always comes clothed in humility. There's an author that I like. He's a pastor. His name is Tim Challies. He writes about organizational leadership and how it affects the church, and boy, do we ever need that. He says this, love is impossible without humility. He says, if I want to excel at love, I first need to learn to be humble, to learn to count my own joy and my own pleasure as less important than the joy and the pleasure of someone else. He writes, perhaps the key to love is learning to derive that pleasure and joy from someone else's pleasure. Selfless love is to find pleasure in another person's good. I'm looking at our mask rules. Don't y'all think it's weird? I do. I, I, I've spent the, the better part of a year um, at the outset of it telling my kids that we had to put these on because it was a way that we were going to show love to others, and it was a way that we were going to ultimately submit. And, and what I've learned even this week as I've prayed and answered questions about where we are with our new signage that says that you decide masks are optional is I'm, I'm living in a world of how do I just clothe myself with humility and, and say that at the very beginning I, I never claimed to know more than the scientists or to be better than our politicians and our local governing officials so if they said to put on a mask I put on a mask and and so explaining that even to my own kids this week who are like but wait a minute dad don't we st uh, hey guys here's the deal we're, we're never going to claim to be the people who know more than the scientists <laughs> or who somehow are, 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 are better than our current governing officials, we're just going to submit. It, it, it's ultimately, on, my, I'm only responsible for my humility and my lack of pride approaching any situation. And, and so dancing on the level of how can I best show love, sometimes it's to still put this on. And sometimes it's the freedom to take it off. And doesn't that make it more difficult? Yeah, but I think it also makes it more beautiful 
when, when you and I get to walk out the details of our life, not just this detail, but every detail, somehow or another figuring out how to put on love. It always comes dressed as humility. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others as, as above yourselves. Somehow or another, we know <laughs> that whatever we know is always definitely and definitively linked to both what we see and also what we don't see and yet are willing to do. Nobody's ever seen God. But if we love one another, we get to put him on display. And when it comes to people seeing God in us, it's truth and love. It's truth and love that both matter in big ways, armed forces all around us, and in small ways, keys in the Pacific Ocean and an axe head floating in a river. Big ways and in small ways, every conversation, every interaction, every opportunity, we get to be a people who live in the world proclaiming a definitive truth. It's Jesus. But walking that out only in love, which means gentleness and respect for one another, especially when those opinions differ. And it also means a display of sacrificial service every time we're giving an opportunity to understand that my best pleasure on my best day comes from someone else's good. Ephesians chapter 4 says super specifically that we are speaking the truth and that we never shy away from that, but that we are always willing to do it in love. John Stott, famous theologian pastor, said that too much truth without enough love is way too hard. And too much love without enough truth is way too soft. We aim to live with conviction in the middle of the tension, never wavering on the truth of who Jesus is, and always being a people who will communicate that in love for the good of another. Thank you so much for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of Rolling Hills Podcast Network. We can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast or Men's Leadership Network or the Rolling Hills Women As You Go Podcast and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and stay up to date with what's happening and ways you can connect. Hey, we are so thankful for you.